0: Jesus prophesied as the ultimate prophet on several occasions that he was going to die and that he was going to rise uh, the third day. Uh, he said so in John chapter 2 at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, John 10, verse 15, uh, etc. There's many places where he told uh, his followers that he was going to die and, and be resurrected. The only problem was that not many of them really listened to him uh, because they wanted him to be the great messianic king that would overthrow the Roman Empire. Um, But he did die. Uh, He was crucified. It was a heinous uh, methodology that the Romans uh, used uh, and no one survived it uh, and no one could switch out a body as some have suggested. Uh, They arrested the Lord, they crucified the Lord uh, and they put him in a tomb. Uh, And I've been in that that area many times in Israel as a very moving, humbling thing to to stand in that garden area. Uh, How did he validate the fact then that he was risen from the grave? Because he said he was going to lay his life down and pick it up again What what did he do? Uh, Well, what he did was he just appeared to his followers to show them that I am indeed alive. And when he appeared uh, in multiple occasions, it wasn't a ghost that appeared. He was quite tangible, but he had an unusual body because uh, it could move between our dimensionality and his dimensionality uh, uh, at will. First person he appeared to is Mary Magdalene, uh, then to various women at the tomb. Then he appeared to Peter while Peter was in Jerusalem. Uh, then uh, he appeared to two heartbroken disciples that were walking uh, out of Jerusalem, uh, down the mountain of Jerusalem uh, toward Tel Aviv uh, to Emmaus. I've been in that area many times. Very beautiful there. Uh, they were walking to Emmaus, and the Lord appeared to them. And they didn't recognize him at first, uh, but then they recognized him. Uh, he, he then appeared to uh, on resurrection eve to 10 disciples behind closed doors, and he just appeared in the room. Uh, that would have taken your breath away, wouldn't it? Uh, and then uh, he appeared to all eleven disciples because uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, happened to miss uh, that first appearance on Resurrection Eve. So a week later, he appeared to the disciples, and it specifically says in John 26 to 31 that the doors were locked. Why is that important? He didn't need a door. Uh, he just moved from his dimensionality to our dimensionality, and he had a body that was unusual. So if you ever wonder, like, what kind of body you're going to have when you see Christ, it's going to be unusual. It's unusual. Uh, he appeared to them, and then he, he runs into Thomas, and Thomas, you know, he's like, I, 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 I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I actually touch him. Well, then when he sees him, and Jesus says, hey, Thomas, you know, behold, it's me, uh, Here, touch. And what did Thomas do? He just worshiped him. He's like, I don't need to touch you. I, I can see it's you. I see the wounds. It's you. And he exclaimed, my Lord and my God, because who was Jesus? He was Lord, uh, and He was God in the flesh. That's who He was. Um, amazing. Yeah, quite tangible when He appeared. Uh, it lists, uh, these are six times that He appeared, but that wasn't all the times that He appeared. There's an unusual one that I want to talk about today, uh, one of His appearances, that it just, if you tell me the, the Bible is just boring, I would submit to you, you have not read it. Because this, this instance in John chapter 21, uh, prior to his uh, ascension into heaven, is just most amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. Because he's going to appear on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know how you feel about the beaches. I love beaches. I'm from San Diego. Um, one person. Praise God for you. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the Lord's going to do. He's going to appear at a beach scene with his friends who are fishing. You like fishing? This story is for you, because uh, the Lord's going to appear at a mundane time when they're doing mundane things, and he's going to reveal himself in a profound way, uh, and he's going to teach us in John 21, verses 1 to 17, this main idea. What's the idea? Well, that he's the risen Lord, and he wants to do two things. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you, which is amazing in and of itself, uh, and he wants to grow you. He wants to grow you up in the faith so that you mature and flourish. Uh, How we see those things in this chapter, it's a narrative literature, Uh, narrative literature uh, is a little bit different to preach from, and so what I want to do to move through here, to develop this motif, is move through in like a rhetorical structural format following the, what I would call the panels of the movement of the passage. And so uh, they're all going to start with the word P, I apologize, but it all hangs together. And what we find in, in the Lord wanting to know us as the resurrected Lord and wanting to grow you up in the faith, we first run into what, what I find in verses 1 and 2, what I call the party, the party, not, not party with Marty thing. This is party, the the fishing party. So as in verse 1, after these things, which in the Greek text, which is the language of the day, uh, the Greek text is meta tata. And if you ever looked that up, which I've done before grammatically, that prepositional phrase is a chronological structure saying, uh, you must consider what was just said, what was just said. Well, if you go back in the text and read, he's basically telling you after these six manifestations of Jesus, that he was quite alive, there was a seventh one that was kind of off the grid. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples. Uh, he's telling you where? At the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, there is a, a little town of Tiberias on the, on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but, the, but they would call it the Sea of Tiberias because that was the Roman name. But it was the Sea of Galilee. That's the name of the sea, uh, northern Israel, about 80 miles north of Jerusalem. He manifested himself in this way. But Before he gets to how he did it, he's going to tell you who he showed himself to. So he says, verse 2, there were together who? Simon, Peter, and Thomas, doubting Thomas. He's not doubting anymore. Uh, Didymus, uh, called Didymus. And Nathaniel, uh, his name, Natan El in Hebrew, means gift of God. Natan is to give, El is the word God. What a great name. Uh, Nathaniel, a Galilee, where Christ's first miracle was performed. And the sons of Zebedee, doesn't name them. Everybody knows who they were. Bible trivia. James and John. Actually, the true Christians are over here. James and John, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Son of Zebedee and the other two disciples, and they're not worth mentioning. But they were there, uh, and it's pretty funny when you read scholastic books. Uh, the scholars get paid to try to dis. Who were those two men? The answer is no one knows. Move on. So uh, if you're going to ask me, email money today. I got I to know. I got to know. I'm going to write you back. I have no idea. Nobody knows. So that was uh, that was what we call the the party. This this fishing party. Now bear in mind in Matthew chapter 28 verse 7. Uh, at the empty tomb, the Lord had told the women to go tell the disciples that I'm risen and tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. Oh, yeah, everybody knows where Galilee is. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and so they were headed there. So, that, that is why the disciples are in Galilee. They're waiting for Jesus. But, but Jesus isn't appearing, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and, and they get bored. And so they, they have a plan. That's the next movement of the passage. They have a plan, as any disciples would. And the plan is given by Peter in verse 3. You, you got all love Peter. Uh, what's the plan? Simon Peter said to them, I don't know about you, but I'm going fishing. <laughs> and they said to him, Bad idea. No, they said, Hey, we'll come with you. I'm adding to the text in case you're wondering. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm going fishing. I don't know, you know, when you're born and you got nothing else to do, what else do you do? Go fishing. And so they're waiting for Jesus. He doesn't appear. They've already seen him how many times? Well, Peter's seen him once. The disciples together have seen him twice, uh, and, 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 and they're still blown away, uh, and, but they know his final word, you know, back in Jerusalem was, make sure you get to Galilee. Well, they get there. He doesn't show up. So Peter says, uh, we've we got to get with the program. Now, think of the disciples that are there. There's seven disciples there, right? Five, we know who they are. Two that we don't know who they were. How many of those were professional fishermen? Not one, not four. Three, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> Peter, James, and John. Yeah, Peter, James, and John. And we take tests at this church. That's what we do. <laughs> um, Peter, James, and John, they're professional fishermen. So when I take, I've been taking people uh, to Israel for, I don't know, 30 years um, and we're going again in May, and then we're going again uh, in October of this year. We go twice a year. Uh, there, there's nothing like going to the Sea of Galilee. But if you go to Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, I'll take you to uh, where Peter's house is. And they know it's Peter's house because the stone steps outside the house are worn perfectly flat like glass because so many people came to his home after the resurrection of Christ. It's awesome. Uh, but when you think about this, this whole plan to go fishing, uh, it's just uh, a... <laughs> It's just what they do. It's what Peter's fished this lake many times. Uh, scholars theorize that Peter just wasn't a guy with a boat. He had a fleet of boats. He was a very wealthy man. Uh, and so he knew this lake. He knew where to go, uh, what time to fish. Don't fish in the daytime because you're fishing with a net. Fish can see the net. Our nets are not like their nets. Their nets were thicker. And so a fish could swim up to it and go, hey, better move. It's a net. So they went fishing at nighttime, best time to fish. They go out. They have a plan. Their plan eventually devolves into a problem. Verse 3b. And they went out and they got into the boat and that night. They caught nada, nicks, nothing. Have you ever been skunked fishing? See, now you're not talking. See? I've been, I'll, I'll confess this confessional booth. I, have been, I used to fish all the time uh, where I was in Northern California in Stockton, California, 2,000 miles of waterway around the city. 2,000 miles of waterway. Trust me, I have fished those 2,000 miles. Um, I have gone deep sea fishing off, off, out of Bodega Bay, San Francisco, San Diego, Santa Cruz. I've gone deep sea fishing, you know, out at midnight. You go out four hours, you can't see land. You start fishing at four in the morning. It's spooky. You can't see anything. But you go out with a gunny sack, and your wife wants you to come back but that thing, fool. Now, my wife is actually in this service, and she will tell you, there were times I came back going fishing with you know, 15 of my friends and came back with nothing in the gunny sack, correct? Just bob your head, yes, yes. <laughs> she knows. She's like, I had to go today? Uh, not, not well. Uh, you don't wanna have skunk about you when you go fishing. Now, I don't know about you, uh, you know, I don't know where you pray, but when I fish, I pray especially if I'm getting skunk. So one time I was fishing when I was in seminary, at Dallas Seminary. I was on a huge lake with a friend of mine, uh, uh, Ronnie, and his uh, girlfriend who just rotated off the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleading Squad. Me and Liz and Ronnie and Don went fishing on a big houseboat, and we fished all day, caught zero, zero. And so that night at the back of the boat, before I went to bed, I was out there with Ronnie, kind of checking things out. I set up my line, got some great bait on it, lowered it into the water, and I told Ronnie, man, I'm gonna leave it here all night. And for sure, I'm going to have something on the end of my pole. And then I prayed, dear Lord, (laughs) this whole lake in Texas is yours. I mean, you know where every fish is. You created everything. I am your humble servant going to seminary. Could you just put one fish on my line? I went to bed that night, got up the next morning, reeled the line in, no bait. No fish. (laughs) Those Texas fish, they're smart. I... I've been skunked. And so, they go out into the boat. They fish all night. Now, and they caught zero. If you were a professional fisherman, this is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Think about how difficult it was to fish at their day and time. Let me help you understand the culture. This isn't one guy with a pole or, or a man throwing out a little circular net. Uh, no, this is a trammel net. Now, a trammel net was composed of 38 yards and five panels of netting. So, do the math. It's a 190 yards of netting, I mean, wide. Think about this. If you stuck a net in water, and it's got little cork floats on it and little lead weights, and it's going to put a wall of netting down, what are the odds of you not catching something? I mean, this is a massive net, and it doesn't say in the text how many times they lowered it that night. Could you imagine Peter, hey, okay, we just got the net in again. We're going to move to another spot. It's a good spot. And lower it again. Could you imagine if you're the guys that aren't the fishermen? I don't want to do that again, man. That, that thing's heavy. They lower it again. They did it probably multiple times because it says they fished all night. And they caught how much? Nothing. Nothing. Now, somebody on that boat, because they're disciples. Somebody on that boat, I would wager, must have thought, hey, do you remember when Jesus was with us when he called us to be the disciples. Like back in Luke chapter 5 where it records what happened when he called them to be disciples. You guys remember that? When Jesus was, we first met him and he, he called us to be disciples. Remember we came in from a night of fishing and we caught zero? Remember it was daylight and he was on the shoreline and he told us to go back out into the water and we're like, are you crazy? But we did it anyway and we caught so many fish we had to call other people with boats to come help us bring the fish in. I mean, why couldn't Jesus be here today? They had a problem. They caught no fish. Uh, you think about the Lord. Uh, the, Lord in a, the Lord knows your situation. Uh, in fact, sometimes the Lord sets up situations where you're in a normal situation, doing something you enjoy, and then it goes south on you because God wants to get your attention to point you away from what you're doing to Him. They're fishing. But in Luke chapter 5, when He did this for them, allowed them to catch all these fish, he told them, go back and read it. He told them back then, I don't want you to fish for fish anymore. I want you men to fish for men. They forgot that. Remember, how many times have they seen Jesus? Well, most of them have seen Jesus twice. Peter's seen him three times. You would think if you seen resurrected Lord, that you would be thinking, what, what, what does he want me to do? He wants you to be a fisher of what? Men, people who don't know him. To share with them the fact that the Savior is risen indeed, and that if they don't know Him, they will not see Him in the next life, but if they know Him, they shall see Him. He says, uh, "You you guys, I'm I'm setting up a situation where I'm going to get your attention." Is what he's going to do. I'm as as a sidelight have to ask you: You distracted? Because they got distracted. And it didn't take a couple of weeks for them to get distracted from what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to go to those people who don't know him and share the gospel with them. God's going to give them a provision in their situation. God knows your provision. He knows if you've been out on on a lake, as it were, uh, and had a hard time, everything went south on you. uh, It's been night for sure. uh, You're not being profitable. He knows your situation because he probably set it up to get your attention. But he wants to do something amazing for you, and that's what we find in verses 4 to 6. I call it the provision. Says, so, but when the day was now breaking, when you're not supposed to fish, Jesus was where? He's on the beach. He's, a, he's north shore. And this particular beach, uh, there's not many beaches uh, around the Sea of Galilee. This is on the, the north shore. There's a little beach there, and there's a chapel built there, and it's called the Primacy of Peter. Uh, but there's a, I've been there. Uh, I was there a couple years ago with my tour group. Uh, and, and, and there's not much room there, but there's a beautiful beach, water coming in, lapping at your feet. Jesus is there, he's on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, Because if you keep reading the text, he's a hundred yards away. Jesus therefore said to them, this is really, this is is interesting. This is the only time in the New Testament Gospels where he uses this Greek term concerning his uh, disciples. He doesn't say, hey man, got anything? What's he call them? Children. Yeah, I I don't know how, where you're at with uh, children if you're married with kids and stuff like that. This is the Greek word for an adolescent. Hey, you teenagers, got anything out there? Uh, Did he have to ask the question? No, why? He knew where every fish was in that lake. In fact, he knew where every fish was in any lake at any given time. I mean, talk. have you ever fished with a a depth finder, range finder? I have. I have put those things on lakes all over the state of California and saw zillions of fish down there and still caught nothing. Jesus, he just knows where the fish is. He calls out to them, do you have any fish? They answered to him and said, uh, no, no, no. Uh, the, the word in Hebrew would be lo, L-O is no in Hebrew. And he said to them, um, hey, I got a great idea. Cast, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You're fishing on the left side. And you're going to find a catch. And they cast, therefore, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. This is unbelievable. <laughs> he just happens to appear on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee now you would think in Jesus in the resurrected body it's, this is the Lord of glory he's just defeated sin and death on the cross he's appeared to, the, to his people six times now this is the seventh time he's going to appear on a fishing expedition you would think there would be like a throne seraphim class singing cherubim class chanting holy, holy, holy is the Lord lightning, thunder, n- earthquake nothing. It's just Jesus on the beach. This tells you a lot about Jesus. Uh, it's telling you, uh, I, I want to have a relationship with you. And that's what he does. He appears on the beach. Hey, you children, did you, did you, you got anything in your nets? No, Lord, we don't have anything. So he yells out to them across the lake and tells them, uh, hey, just move from the left side of the boat to the right side of the boat. This is funny. Does it matter when you're fishing? It's just a couple feet. If I i don't know about you, but I was, I was writing down. If I was one of those guys in the boat, i have been thinking to myself something like this. Who in the world is that? Can you guys make him out? Uh-uh, it's too far away, 100 yards. He's some kind of Jewish guy in a tunic. Yeah, I can hear him. He told us to move from the left side to the right side. Does he realize there's 190 yards of, of, of netting? That is not a simple thing. To, it's what he said. So somebody should have said to him, who do you think you are? We are fishermen. Did anyone argue? Well, no argument. They just went, hey, that's a really good idea. Left side, right side. What? You? They just moved, right side, psh, dropped the net in. What happened? You read the story. What happened? Instantly, boom, so much fish. I mean, and it's daytime when the fish can see the net. This is just funny. I mean, it's like, this is not when you fish. And it fills their, fills their net. Their net. It's, just, it's just, there's so many fish. Their fish are everywhere. Because Jesus knew where the fish were. That was his school of fish. And what's he telling his disciples? Hey, you men, remember what I told you when I was walking among you? I wanted you not to be fishermen anymore. I wanted you to be fishers of men. You've been distracted. I need to fill your nets again to tell you, in your lifetime, as you share my gospel of my resurrection and defeat of sin and death, I'm going to fill your nets again with so many fish, so many souls. It's going to blow your mind. Just get back to your job. What should you be doing as a Christian, this Lord's day of his resurrection? Be all about fishing for men. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm fishing for men, I'm fishing for women, I'm fishing for teenagers, for those who don't know Christ. Because he came and he died for your sin. and rose the third day and he calls you unto himself to be saved because he wants to know you and he wants to grow you up in the faith. And if you know him, if if he's your savior, same thing, he wants to know you intimately and, and, and he wants to help you grow up in the faith. Verse, uh, verse seven is the most interesting. It says, that disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, this is John, uh, it's the Lord. See, Peter's the emotional guy. John's the thinker. John's processing the data points. And he's thinking to himself, hmm, uh, seems like we've been on a lake before, skunked fishing all night. And it kind of seems to me that, when we were skunked all night, Jesus told us at you know, w- you know, in the daytime when we approached the shore to go back out and drop the nest. And it seems like we caught a whole bunch of fish. Uh, and how did he know that? Well, because he created all the fish. And he knows where all the fish were because he's omniscient, because he's God. So John says to himself after a process of deduction, it's the Lord. Now, what is interesting is uh, Simon Peter, you heard this? Simon Peter is the bull in the china shop guy he's not the thinker type. He's the emotional kind of guy. Uh, when he heard it was the Lord, what'd he do? Well, he put on his outer garment. Why? Well, he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. So Peter doesn't, you know, he takes off the outer tunic. He's got on basically his undies, as it were. I'm sorry, that's what he was, that's how he's fishing. But if it is the Lord, who wants to swim to Jesus in your undies? You know what I'm saying? He. Can, he gets, hey guys, you know, I got where's my tunic? Gets a tunic on, puts it on. And then it says that he, how'd he get into the water? Was it a beautiful dive? Man, that was primo. No, it says he threw himself. Now, what is really interesting, uh, the, the word for throw himself here uh, in the Greek text is valo. Val, valo means to hurl your body. So you could just see him. He's got with the tunic on, boom, he's in. Man, it was like a cannonball. He didn't, It was amazing. How far is he from the shore? A hundred yards. Now, Navy SEAL, they they do this, this, you know, warm up. And and all fishermen back in that day were really in shape because they had to dive down constantly to free their nets. That's why Peter was stripped down. In case the net got stuck, he's going in the water to go fix the net. But he, he dives in the water and starts swimming. Now, we have no record in the text of how fast he swam. I mean, this is like an Olympic record thing. He's swimming to Jesus. I mean, what, what kind of stroke did he use? Does it matter? Backstroke? Highly doubt it, you know. Uh, this is probably freestyle, you know, psycho freestyle. Would, <laughs> he's swimming to see Jesus. Wouldn't you want to, let me walk on the water now, Lord. No, he's swimming. He's swimming. And we get from the identification of the person on the shoreline, Jesus, to the whole purpose of the whole thing, verses 8 to 17. Because it breaks down into two quadrants, the whole purpose of the whole thing. Because Jesus wants to know you, and and he wants to grow you up in the faith. And notice what happens here. First of all, we get in verses 8 to 14, which is what I would call the reconnecting and the reorienting. Because they got off target of what they're supposed to be doing. They're not supposed to be fishing for fish. They're supposed to be fishing for men. And so it says uh, the other disciples came in with the little boat, for they weren't far from land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. That's funny even of itself. Uh, and so, when they got out up on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already lay, uh, laid and the fish were placed on it and bread. Are you kidding me? And Jesus said to them, Hey, bring some fish, which you have now caught, that I gave you. Uh, and Simon Peter went up and he drew the net uh, to the land, uh, which means he was probably a, a really strong guy. Uh, and it was a large fish. And someone was a bean counter, so they had CPA on board. Well, <laughs> oh, we cannot bring the fish on until we count them. How many? One, two, three, four, five. Can you imagine this? That's option one. Option two is they had this huge pile of fish, and Jesus says, There's 153. I counted them already. All right, something like that. Um, There's 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, This is amazing. Come and join the seraphim class, enchanting holiness to me. Is that what he did? Nah. He's, this is amazing. Come and have what? Breakfast. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples, this is interesting, ventured to question him. Uh, Who is that? It's Jesus. Don't you see the nail scars? It's Jesus. Yeah, I know it's Jesus. Blowing my mind. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave them the bread and he gave them the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He wanted to have breakfast with them. That's just shocking. What's that tell you? Jesus wants to have breakfast with you. He wants to have breakfast with you. That means he wants to know you. He wants to know you. He Wants to have a relationship with you. When you come to him in faith, as I did back in 1967, it's it's that you know. He wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, I got saved based on uh, Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens that door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. I was nine. I got the picture that the doorknob of Jesus knocking, there's no doorknob on the outside. The doorknob's on the inside. And my parents told me, well, honey, you just need to open the door and invite Jesus in. So I did. Best thing I ever did. And he came in and he he just has fellowship with you. He says, I will come in and sup with you. He he, he, He had breakfast with these guys. Breakfast. I don't know about you, I'm a thinking person. Where'd he get the bricks? Like, did he have, where did the charcoal come from? He's in the middle of nowhere. Do you think he hauled this from a 7-Eleven? I, I don't think so. Because there's nothing out there. It's like, where did the charcoal come from? How did he get the fire going? You know? Uh, where'd the fish come from? Do you think he went fishing? And bread? I mean, he's got it all going on there. When they get, when they get there, uh, he's got, it's going. Fish are cooking. He's got the bread going. It's, it's unbelievable. I would submit to you <clears throat> that um, he didn't need to go find charcoal. Charcoal. Did you ever stand over charcoal as a kid with a lighter can, and then throw a match in? Is it a wonder you're even here today? I did this many times. Did did he need a match? No, he's the light of the world. All he's got to do is go, charcoal, fire, fish, bread, poof, poof, poof. It's there. Talk about a master chef. It's unbelievable. And he cooks them breakfast. Why? Because he wants to sit down and have a have an intimate time with them. Talk. Could you imagine sitting around a, a fire? on a beach, with the resurrected Lord, and he's serving you breakfast. He's serving you. What's wrong with that picture? They should have been serving him. Hmm? What's the Lord do? He goes, hey, here, let me serve you guys. Because remember, this, the, the servant's not greater than the master. If I serve, you should serve. And so he, ser- he serves his men. He, was, he reoriented them to what he wanted them to do. I don't want you to be fishing. I want you to be fishers of men. Uh, and he reconnected with them and said, you know, I could blow you away at the glory of my presence, but no, I'm, I'm just, I'm on the beach in a tunic. Uh, see me, handle me. I can have fish with you. We can enjoy a meal together. See, that's Jesus. He wants to know you. He wants to grow you up in the faith. The last movement is uh, what we would call as the, um, the restoration and the relaunching of Peter. Because Peter publicly denied Christ how many times? Three. Uh, after he arrogantly said, "Everybody else might desert you, but Lord, I will never desert you," but he did three times. And don't you know when he smells the ca- the campfire, the- sees the charcoal, he's having a flashback because he denied Christ around a fire. No, I I I, I don't know the man. Are you, aren't you from Galilee? You have a, a Galilean accent. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know Jesus three times. So what the Lord is going to do is he's three times. He's gonna reconnect with that disciple. And he's gonna relaunch that disciple. Because even if you're a believer and you've committed sin and you think God is through with me, he's not through with you. That's the devil telling you that. But if you're a child of God, he's not through with you. This Easter, he's telling you, come back to me. I got get great things in store for you. Notice how he gets to Peter. Peter denies him three times publicly. Jesus is going to publicly, before the other disciples, Get to his heart with a series of questions. And I would submit to you, when God starts asking you questions, that is a very uncomfortable thing. And so when they finished breakfast, uh, says in verse 15, uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, hey, uh, I, I got a question. Simon, his old name before he was named the rock by Jesus. Simon, remember, that's your name. That's like, that's like your pre-saved name. Hey, Simon, uh, you who denied me three times. Uh, son of John, I have a question. Do you, you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you, you, you know that I love you. And he said, if, well, that's true, then I have a job for you because I'm not done with you. Tend my sheep. Now, what you don't see in the English text, you see in the Greek text. When Jesus said, do you love me, he uses, he uses the word agapao, uh, agape. He says, do you love me with the highest form of, uh, of Grecian love? I mean, selfless love. Peter, do you love me with agape love? Peter says to him in Greek, yes, you are, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't use agape. He uses phileo, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. He says, Lord, I, nah, I, I deserted you three times. I denied you three times. Lord, you know I, I love you like a brother. Jesus then uh, tells him, he says, uh, you, you don't love me more than the disciples? Then he asks him a, a second question. Second, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? Do you personally love me? Again, he's using that word uh, agapao. Do you love me with the highest form of love? And Peter's going to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you personally but he uses the word phileo you know i love you like a brother i'm your brother i love you like that but he says lord i I have so much guilt i I, i've done so much against you i I can't use that word agape lord's not done with him ask him a third question he said a, a third time simon son of john do you love me and peter was grieved because he said to him the third time do you love me but what you don't see in the greek text is this time jesus flips it around and he says to him, son of, son of, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he uses the word phileo. What did he just do to Simon? He just said to him, I've asked you twice, do you love me with divine, the highest form of love? Now I'm questioning whether you even love me like a brother. Do you? Do you love me like a brother? Phileo is what Jesus did. Peter was grieved because Jesus challenged even that form of love. Uh, and what did Peter say? Lord, uh, you know all things. I mean, you know where every fish is in this lake. You know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, Peter, I'm not done with you. Because I know that you love me, then I have a job for you. Take care of my sheep. See, for me as a pastor, this, is, this applies to me first and foremost to any pastor in our church, any church, in the, anywhere. What's your job? Until the shepherd comes back, take care of his sheep. Take care of his sheep. Uh, and the sheep are supposed to take care of each other and serve each other. Uh, Peter was not, well, the Lord was not done with Peter. If you're a a Christian who's drifted a bit in your walk with God this Easter, uh, the Lord, I think, is calling you back to say, hey, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. Do what I called you to do. Tend my sheep. If you're not a Christian today, you don't know Christ. Uh, He was resurrected in time and space. Uh, There's much evidence that I could give you uh, to verify that truth. Um, Why was he resurrected? Uh, To defeat sin and death so that when you come to him in faith, like I did as a little kid at nine, and I look at the door of my life with the doorknob on the inside and Jesus knocking on the outside, and he can't barge into my life, how do you get saved? You say, Lord, I, I open the door and I invite you in. And he redeems you and he saves you and gives you life. I mean, real life. Not just in the here and now, but in the here, here what is to come. We're gonna sing a song just to worship Jesus as the risen Lord. Why don't you stand as we prepare? Lord, we worship you. Thank you for your greatness, how wonderful you are. Thank you for your resurrection, the power you give us for living. Thank you for being gracious and kind and merciful to us. You came to save sinners. You came to restore saints. We thank you for how great you are. May this day find us being fishers of men and realizing you're going to make our nets full as we're brave enough to do that. And for those who don't know, you lead them in your kingdom this day. And we praise you, for indeed you are risen. Amen.